Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Grace Church tonight. It's great to see all of you here on a Wednesday evening, and thank you for coming out for our Wednesday evening Bible study. And uh, for those of you that are joining us via live stream and Facebook Live, we would like to say welcome to you as well. Uh, I'm going to ask you to stand this evening. We do not have any announcements. That's uh, two Wednesday nights in a row, so I say let's keep this going. Um, but uh, no announcements tonight, but we do want to uh, take just a moment here at the beginning of our service to um, bring a very special need uh, forward in prayer. Sister Brandy Patrick has let us know that um, there's a family very close to her. Um, her nephew um, was, was, her nephew's big brother uh, was recently killed in a, in a car accident right outside of Clinton. A uh, young man was 16 years old. I believe his name's Owen. And uh, this is, uh, the mother's name is Ashley. And this is the second child uh, that she has lost. And just a lot of heartbreak and tragedy. And so uh, we said that we would definitely pray for this family. And so we want to lift them up in prayer tonight together, uh, collectively as, as a body. And also pray for our, uh, all of our campers, uh, that God would move and do great things in their lives. And also let's pray for our Bible study this evening. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much that we can come to you uh, with every need. Uh, the, the tragedies, the broken hearts, the illnesses, the sicknesses, the needs. Uh, you're just a good God. And uh, you see every heartache. You see every trauma. None of it escapes you. And you uh, tell us in your word that you are close to those who are brokenhearted. So we ask you to draw near to this family and all of the friends associated with this tragedy. I pray that you would be there to comfort, Lord, to, to speak peace into their situation. Lord, we pray for all of our campers and all of the great things going on at the campgrounds this week, that you would move in, in those lives and, and uh, pray that memorials would be built and, and life-changing events would happen. And Lord, I pray for us here tonight that our hearts and minds would be open to what you want to tell us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for that, Grace Church. You can be seated. Before we uh, launch into tonight's Bible study, uh, I appreciate you letting me do the appropriate ethical and scholarly thing and giving my due credit to the sources that I've used. A good bit of tonight's material uh, comes from a guy named Joel Malm. M-A-L-M, -M. and Joel is a pastor, missionary, and entrepreneur. He actually uh, operates um, a business called Summit Leadership, where uh, they engage in leadership development, Brother Dave, while climbing mountains, and we're talking like serious mountains, like Kilimanjaro type of mountains, and uh, he is an outstanding writer, and his book, Connecting the Dots, is absolutely superb. I highly recommend that book. Uh, but his, another one of his books is called Love Slows Down, and that's one of my primary sources tonight. Uh, there'll be a little bit of biology and neurology I'll talk about later on, and uh, most of that material comes from Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, Sister Rachel, and I tried to get you to read that book. But he, uh, he has an MD in psychiatry, and he's also a New York Times bestselling author, and he has been at the forefront of trauma research and treating PTSD since the 1970s. 
And I've also borrowed a little bit tonight from Rick Warren and Jensen Franklin. There will not be any Craig Grishel tonight. I know that's a shocker to a lot of you that have listened to my teaching down through the years. Uh, no Craig Grishel tonight. But there is a little bit of Jason Cooper in some of uh, tonight's Bible study. And I think there's a whole lot of Jesus. So um, if you have any questions about what material came from who and you want to do some more reading or study on your own, uh, just see me after and I'll do what I can to direct you to the right places. So with that out of the way, let's get to it. Uh, we're going to take a text tonight, just really a launching point uh, from the book of James, verse 1, or chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. And I'm reading tonight uh, almost exclusively from the NIV. And uh, James wrote, he said, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That Greek word there for angry is the word orge, and it literally means anger, wrath, or temper, including impulsive, violent emotion. Now, James isn't talking here about something that has, has you mildly irritated. He's talking about the kind of anger that leads to impulsive words and actions. And then in verse 20, it says, because human anger, same Greek word there, orge, does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Y'all ever get angry? I do. I'm glad to hear that you do too. Not glad in that I'm glad that you get angry. I'm just glad I'm not by myself. Um, I get angry. You know, a lot of times I don't always feel qualified to teach on some of the things that I teach on in church circles and in church settings, but I feel pretty qualified to talk about this topic tonight. I feel qualified to talk about anger, especially considering that I feel like I spent the better part of eight years of my life just walking around mad all of the time. And um, some of you may know, I, I've worked in a, a brick-and-mortar school as an assistant principal for several years. And I was the heavy. I was the consequence guy. And uh, I, I'm just going to tell you, you go spend eight or you go spend 10 hours a day, roughly 10 hours a day, dealing with 14- to 18-year-olds and the consequences of their bad decisions, uh, which they make a lot of them, and their parents – and see if that doesn't put you on edge just a little bit and make you just a little bit testy. Um, so I, I'm just saying that because uh, I want you to know that I know how it feels to be constantly on guard. Uh, just waiting on the next bad thing to happen and knowing that you're going to be the one who has to deal with it whenever it finally does happen. I know what that feels like. I know what it's like to live in a state of constant wariness. I'll say it that way, where there's a fight-or-flight instinct right there at the ready. Not fun, one star, do not recommend it. But there's good news. The good news, though, is that a lot of that walking around angry all of the time, that state of mind that I had changed for me whenever I switched jobs. There's a lot less stress for me these days and um, a lot less anger, too. And my wife and kids said, thank you, Jesus, because I'm just easier to live with. But uh, I had something happen to me a couple of weeks ago that made me realize I still have a lot of work to do, a lot of work to do, whenever it comes to managing my anger. And uh, I'm not going to tell you what it was because, frankly, it's embarrassing. Um, but I will tell you 
Sister Patricia, that my reaction uh, was way out of proportion to the problem. Anybody else? Are y'all going to leave me by myself? Okay. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Um, have you, have y'all, y'all have had that happen to you, so thank you for letting me know that it's not just me, but, but something that just really set you off. And whenever you go back and think about it later and, and you reflect on it, it was really insignificant. In the grander scheme of things, it was really insignificant. And, and you might feel some regret and maybe, like me, even feel some embarrassment at how you handled it and how out of line you got over it. That's what happened to me. I don't know if it happens to you, but that's what happened to me. And I wanted something to, uh, to be a certain way. I wanted something to work a certain way, and it wouldn't. And I got mad, man. I got irrationally angry, foolishly angry, or gay angry, as James would say. I was wroth in the King James Version. I was quite wroth. And I said some stuff, and I did some stuff that I'm not proud of, and frankly, I don't think Jesus liked it a lot either. So to help me, to help me, we're going to do this Bible study tonight. And maybe it will help some of you. I want to do a a little practical, Bible-based, self-help style teaching tonight on anger management. So we're just going to talk for a little while about anger management. There are 1,189 chapters in your King James Bible. Anger shows up by chapter 4. So it didn't take long. Right after Adam and Eve were removed from Eden, anger shows up on the scene. Their sons, uh, Cain and Abel, both offered a sacrifice to God. And the scripture tells us that God accepts Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's offering. And Cain got angry. In Genesis chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, It says, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and on his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry. So earlier, the the word that James used was orge. That's the Greek word. But we're in Old Testament Hebrew. That word angry there is kalral. And it means to be hot to be furious, to burn, to blaze up, to become angry, to be kindled. So Cain was not mildly upset. He wasn't just slightly irritated that God had accepted Abel's offering but rejected his. Cain was hot. He was incensed. He, Cain was ticked off, and his face was downcast. Verse 6 says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face downcast? Kind of like what God said to me a couple of weeks ago whenever I had my episode. Jason, why are you so angry? It it was an interesting conversation. Verse 7, God told Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, listen to this, sin is crouching at the door. 
and it desires to have you, you must rule over it. Now that Hebrew word rule is the word moshal, and it means to govern, to rule, to have dominion over, to reign over, to bring to bear, to have power over. He's not talking about ruling over sin. Cain couldn't do anything to rule over sin. He didn't have the law yet. Jesus had not yet been crucified. Cain had no power over sin. So whenever God tells Cain, you must rule over it, he's not referring to sin that's crouching at the door. He's referring to Cain's anger. And God warned Cain that if he did not properly manage his anger, if he did not rule it, if he did not govern or bring power to bear over his anger, then he was in some serious danger. Cain's anger pointed to something deep within him that needed to be dealt with. And here's what it was. Cain had bad feelings toward God. He was hurt. He was injured, and he was pointing those feelings at his brother. Not at God, but at his brother Abel. Now, Abel didn't reject Cain's offering. God did. Y'all with me? I hope you're thinking. I see some looks right now. It's got me a little worried. I hope you're thinking. Abel didn't reject Cain's offering. God did. But Cain didn't take his anger out on God. He took it out. He took his anger out on somebody close to him. And y'all, isn't that just like what anger does? How it is a perfect picture of anger and how it causes us to hurt those to whom we are closest. Anger causes us to hurt those that we care about the most. And frankly, who often aren't even the source of what has us angry to begin with. This is a perfect picture of anger at work. And so in that moment, when God warned him, hey, Cain, if you, you got to rule over this. Sin is crouching at the door. God's warning him. In that moment, Cain had a choice. He could use his anger for good, or he could use it for evil. And that's an important point that I need you to hear tonight, anger in itself isn't evil. Anger isn't even sinful. You go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 27, and if you have an NIV version, if you go all the way up to verse 17, you'll see that what Paul is doing here is he's talking to the Ephesians about instructions for Christian living. Okay? And in, 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 this, in these instructions for Christian living, Paul tells the Ephesians, verse four, chapter, or chapter 4, verse 25 through 27, he says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Don't lie. For we all are members of one body. We're all family. We're all a part of this same, same family, same body. Verse 26, he said, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down. While you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Paul said, don't sin in your anger. Anger is not evil. Anger is not sin. Paul said, don't sin in your anger. In the King James, it says what? Be angry and sin not. There you go. You got it. Anger isn't sin, and anger isn't evil, but it can certainly lead to sin, and it can certainly lead to a lot of evil like it did with Cain. 
for those of you who aren't quite familiar with the story, eventually Cain killed his brother Abel, murdered his brother. A whole lot, y'all, depends on how you use it. A whole lot depends on how you use your anger. As we see with Cain's example, anger is just a sign that something needs to be addressed. Cain had an issue with God. Cain had an issue with obedience. Cain had some internal issues he needed to work out. Cain had some stuff that he needed to deal with. Anger is a sign that something needs to be addressed. Listen to me. Whenever you get angry at something that's happening to you, it's almost always because of something happening inside you. Whenever you get angry about something that's happening to you, it's almost always because of something happening inside you. We're going to dig into that in just a moment. But anger isn't a sin. It's just a sign. It's a sign that something is wrong. It's a sign that something needs to be dealt with. It's a sign that one of your expectations or one of your hopes or one of your dreams is being threatened. And there are three specific expectations, hopes, and dreams that we all have. And I believe that God built into us. And I'm going to tell you what they are. I think we all want security in the form of physical security. We want to be physically safe, financially safe, emotionally safe. We all want security. That's the first one, security. We all want connection, relationships. We don't want to be alone. We, we want to feel valued. We want to be accepted. So security and connection. And then the third one is control or a sense of agency, a feeling of empowerment that, that we feel like allows us to make, that we have the, the power to make choices for ourselves and that we have options. Security, connection, control. Those are hopes and dreams that I believe that God has put in all of us, and they are good things to want. And because of our past experiences and upbringings and different things that have happened to us in life, most of us usually have one of those that we are super sensitive about. Maybe you grew up without a lot of money. And so whenever something starts happening that threatens your financial security, you become angry. Or maybe you grew up in a household that did not have healthy emotional relationships. And now, whenever you're older, something starts to happen in one of your relationships and you feel threatened. because. Of... So all of us have at least one of those where we tend to be more sensitive. Security, connection, or control. And when we don't have it, or when it seems like it's being threatened in that area, we tend to react. We don't respond, we react. And we tend to get angry when we feel like one of those three is being threatened. So like my personal example that I'm still not going to tell you about from a couple of weeks ago, uh, I felt like my sense of control was being threatened. Now, it, I did not cogitate that in the moment. I did, not, I did not sit back and analyze Brian Tear. Well, I think right now the reason why I'm angry and I'm feeling so hot and bothered is because my sense of control is being threatened right now. No, that came later, came a lot later. But in my example, that's, that's what was going on with me. I wanted something to work a certain way and I couldn't make it happen. I had no control and I got angry. Now, look, there's, there's some biology 
at work there. There's, there's some neurological stuff that's going on in your brain whenever you get angry that way. And I know that we're all super spiritual here and we're full of the Holy Ghost and, and we love Jesus, but we all still live in a human body and it's just designed to act a certain way. You are still subject to the laws of biology, no matter how much Jesus you have. So whenever you start feeling that threat to your security or your connection or your control, your brain's energy shifts away from your prefrontal cortex. That's a structure at the front of your brain that's the problem-solving part of your brain. That's the, where all of the rational thought and the logical thought resides, okay? Whenever you start to feel that threat, the energy shifts away from that. At the, and at that point of threat, the rational and reasonable and logical thought starts to shut down and it happens very quickly, very quickly. And in its place, in, in the place of the prefrontal cortex, Brother Dave, a different brain structure steps up. The threat is perceived. The prefrontal cortex retreats and goes into the background. And in its place, the amygdala arises. That just sounds monstrous, right? The amygdala. Yes. That, that's the lizard brain. That, that's the part of the brain that processes fear, that triggers anger, and that's the part of your brain that actually initiates the fight, flight, or freeze response. You guys have heard of that before, yes? The amygdala steps in, and one of the first things the amygdala does is it does a hormone dump into your body. Cortisol, the stress hormone, uh, adrenaline. And those, those hormones are designed to make your body react and to react quickly. And those things get dumped into your bloodstream and they prepare you for action. And that comes from the amygdala. Have y'all ever heard the phrase, he lost it? Did you see how mad she was? She lost it. And they're using that to describe what? Someone who was angry. Well, they did. They did lose it. They lost their prefrontal cortex, the part of their brain that's responsible for reasonable, logical thought. That took a back seat. They lost that. Now, tell me if this sounds familiar to you Holy Ghost-filled people. Just tell me. You get angry. Something happens and you get angry. But instead of reacting and just blowing up and getting all bent out of shape and doing stuff that you wish you hadn't done, somehow, in this one instance, something catches you. Maybe it's Jesus. Maybe it's the Holy Ghost. Maybe it's past experience. But something, something catches you, and, and you realize that you have to take just a minute and step away. you got to put the phone down. you got to go to another room. You have to take a deep breath. You have to take ten deep breaths. You have to sigh. And rub your earlobes. Yeah, I know some of you do that. You calm down, and then you start thinking straight again. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Don't y'all leave me up here by myself. I work with some of you, I know. I live with a few of you, too. 
what happens there, it, even if it's just for a few seconds, you become more centered and you can, y'all listen to me, you can think clearly again. Isn't that how it happens? Just need to take a step back, deep breath, and then you come back and it's like you're a different person. Your brain is back. You can respond instead of react. That's the biology to anger. Your prefrontal cortex has re-engaged. The amygdala has gone back to the dark closet where it lives and lurks, just waiting for the next threat to present itself. Well-fed and prepared. Enough biology. Let's get back to the Bible. Back to Cain. Cain was angry. The prefrontal cortex had gone into retreat. And God tried to get through. I'm in Bible now. God tried to get through to Cain. Hey, why are you so angry? If you do well, listen to how reasonable God is being. If you do well, won't you be accepted? But be careful. Because sin is crouching at the door. Cain, look, man, slow down. Just slow down. Get a grip, take a breath, engage the prefrontal cortex restart protocol. Just whatever you got to do, reboot the system, Cain, before you lose it. And Cain probably, and I'm, I'm assuming here, but Cain probably felt, put yourself in Cain's place. He probably felt like his connections and control were being threatened. Security, connections, control. He probably felt like his connections or his control were being threatened. Well, God accepted his sacrifice, but not mine, so I must not be as valued. I wanted God to accept what I wanted to bring, but he didn't. And I can't control that aspect of God, so now I'm in a bad spot. He was angry, but he hadn't sinned yet. Listen to me. God was trying to get through to Cain before he did. And there was an opportunity there for Cain's anger to be used for good. There was an opportunity there for Cain to get his heart right. There was an opportunity for him to come to a deeper understanding of God and a deeper understanding of the nature of his relationship with God. There was a chance there for Cain to deal with some of his underlying expectations and motivations. So we're about to leave Cain and go to a different example but before we leave Cain, I just want to ask you a few questions, just a few interesting questions for your considerations. What if Cain's anger had led him to prayer? What if Cain's anger had led him to a place of confession and repentance? What if Cain's anger had led him to a deeper revelation of the nature of God and his relationship with God and what obedience really looks like. How different would those first four chapters of the book of Genesis have been if Cain would have capitalized on the chance that he had 
whenever God was trying to get through to him in the middle of his anger? Interesting questions, are they not? Now let's look at a different example. That was an example of where anger led to evil. Let's talk about where anger led to good. Anger can be used for good or evil. Cain got angry and Cain used it for evil. Jesus got angry. Yes, he did. But he used it for good. Matthew 21, Mark 11, John 2, they all tell the same story. Jesus sees the money changers in the courtyard of the temple in Jerusalem. And he sees them taking advantage of the people that have less resources. And the religious leaders, on top of that, the religious leaders, the ones that should have been looking out for the poor and the disadvantaged, they're just letting it slide. Probably because they're, they're probably financial motivation. They're probably getting some kind of kickback, right, for, for letting that happen. Now, John 2 uh, adds the detail that Mar- uh, Matthew 21 and Mark 11 do not include, that Jesus actually took the time to braid a whip. Jesus saw what was going on and took the time. I don't know how long it takes to braid a whip, but I imagine it takes a little while. So he wasn't just irrationally angry. He was not orgay like James talked about. He wasn't just flashing out. He took a little bit of time to sit over there and plait this whip together out of some strips of leather. I would have loved to have heard the conversations that the disciples were having at that moment. You see what Jesus is doing over there? I've never seen him do that before. You've seen him do that? I've never seen him do that before. What do you think he's going to do? I think I've got a pretty good idea what he's going to do. I bet that was a great conversation. So Jesus takes the time to braid this whip, and whenever he's finished, he storms. I'm going to read the language to you in just a minute. But he storms through the courtyard of the temple in Jerusalem, overturning tables, just chunking them over, man, and driving people out. There's birds, there's coins and cows and people and paper just flying everywhere. That's what Jesus did. And I love how it reads in the message paraphrase. You can read it for yourself in the King James you want to be all authoritative, but listen to it in the message. John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Jesus put together a whip out of strips of leather and chased them, chased them out of the temple, stampeding the sheep and cattle, upending the tables of the loan sharks, spilling coins left and right, and he told the dove merchants, get your things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a shopping mall. Now, does it sound to you like Jesus was just a little bit heated? Nobody wants to respond to that. Does it sound to you like Jesus was mad? Jesus was mad. He was angry. Our gentle, little, meek, and mild Jesus was wound up. You bet he was, Hoss. He was angry. He was angry about how the religious leaders were allowing this abuse of the people. And that was righteous anger. That's the kind of anger that's a force to confront injustice and defend the oppressed. Matter of fact, I'll tell you this. 
you folks here tonight have probably, you can probably identify with exactly how Jesus felt in that moment. I bet you can. At some point, you have probably felt exactly the way Jesus did whenever he was cleansing the temple. You've probably felt anger at an injustice, like seeing a child be emotionally or physically abused or neglected. Or, or seeing someone taking advantage of the poor and the helpless. Seeing those things makes you want to take action. Seeing those things makes something well up in you. That, that, that is not right. That should not be done that way. It makes you want to say something. It makes you want to do something just like Jesus. Not because you were fresh out of some... United Pentecostal, Holy Ghost, outpouring, red-hot altar service where you just got finished speaking in tongues for 30 minutes. But because you were angry. Like Jesus, we should get angry when we see injustice. And whenever it's within our power to do something about it, we should act. That's truly righteous anger. Jesus used his anger for good. It was righteous anger. Now, y'all, I'm going to tell you. Righteous anger is real. Everybody say real. But it's also rare. Everybody say rare. Righteous anger is real, but it's also rare. Look, I've manhandled a few tables in my lifetime. Yes, I have. But I can't say it was because I was standing up for the weak and disenfranchised. I've chunked some stuff before, Brother Jason. I have hauled off and thrown it clear across the yard. But it wasn't because of some societal injustice. (laughs) Hardly. I was mad. Two syllables in that word. Mad. It was because I had unmet expectations. Or I felt a threat to my security my connections or my control. Can, can y'all relate? Can y'all relate? In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 through 32, uh, the Apostle Paul said, he said, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. <laughs> get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, Paul said, instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Look, when we get angry at situations that threaten our security, our connection, our control, it tends to lead to unrighteous anger. (laughs) It tends to lead to bitterness and all of the other negative responses that Paul mentions in that verse. Have y'all ever been so mad that you said some stuff? Don't you shake your head at me. Y'all ever been mad? You said some stuff? Yes, you have. Ever been so mad like you just raged out and punched a, punched a floor or something? If you have, then you know exactly what Paul is talking about here and what he said not to do. And it's funny because you've either done it or somebody sitting very close to you has done it. Paul said, don't do those things, Ephesians. I'm trying to teach you about Christian living. Don't do those things. Because anger 
can also be used for good. Maybe like Jesus, whenever we have that righteous anger at an injustice or someone being oppressed and we step up as we should. But anger can also be used for good. Listen to me. And this is really where I would like for you to really lean in and get this. Anger can also be used for good when we see it as a warning light. A warning light. That there is something in us that we need to surrender to God. Whether it's feelings about our security, about our connections, or about our control. Y'all listen, God's love is the real source for all of those. We can only truly get those things from Him. And a lot of the times when we get angry, it's because the things that have been providing our sense of security and the things that have been providing our sense of control and the things that have been providing our sense of connection have suddenly been exposed as inadequate. I was putting my hope and dreams and faith in this person to provide those connections or in this job to provide that security or in this church or in my own health to be able to provide that sense of control in my life. And suddenly, something has happened that's exposed that inferior source as inadequate. And what happens in those moments? We have an opportunity, just like Cain did, we have an opportunity to recenter and let God become who He needs to be in our lives and what He can provide. So when we get angry, if we will rule over it, govern it, manage it, control it, and consult with it. What does that mean, Jason? Why, why am I angry? What's got me angry in this moment? Why do I have these feelings? What's being threatened? Is it my control? My sense of control? Is it my sense of connection? Is it my sense of security? Consult with it. Then we have an opportunity in that moment to learn a little bit about the deeper parts of our emotions, about the deeper parts of our motivations, and that anger can actually lead us to understand ourselves better and also remind us of our need for God and the security, connection, and control that only He can give. So let's recap. 809, I'm almost done. 809 and doing fine. So let's recap, y'all. Anger isn't a sin. Anger isn't a sin. It's just a sign. It's a sign. And when you see a sign, you need to pay attention because it's trying to tell you something. Anger isn't a sin. It's just a sign. God created us to need security, connection, and a sense of control. But he wanted us to get those needs met directly from him. Sin messed that up. Sin came into the picture and messed that up. But Jesus reconnected us to God through his sacrifice and makes forgiveness possible. So with that right relationship with God restored and sin not affecting that anymore, we now have access to all we need in God. So when we start getting angry about something, about, about not getting our needs met through someone or something around us, then that's a sign that is pointing us to an area that we need to surrender to God. 
the only one who can really meet those needs to begin with. So therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, we need to know ourselves and what makes us angry. Thomas Akempis, in the 1500s, I think, said, A humble knowledge of thyself is a surer way to God than a deep search after learning. And I think that's what King David was talking about whenever he said in Psalm chapter 139, he said, Search me, God. Search me and know my heart and test me and know my anxious thoughts, it says in the NIV. So when you know the patterns of what makes you angry, you can either avoid those kinds of situations or if you can't avoid the situation, you can at least get mentally prepared. You know, throw the amygdala some some chicken meat or something back there and say, hey, you just stay back there in the closet. We're going to let the prefrontal cortex stay in control right here. You, You can start mentally preparing yourself even if you can't avoid the situation. I always have to give myself a pep talk whenever I'm going into rush hour traffic. I do. Or if I have to do a project around the house that involves plumbing. That's enough said about that. Know your triggers. Know your patterns. And you'll soon find that your angry episodes will become fewer and fewer. And in the process, you'll be looking to God more as the source of your security, your connection and control. King Solomon said in Proverbs 15, he said this. He said, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. You know what that means? It means that anger stirs up more anger. But responding in the opposite spirit with gentleness, with calmness, with measured words brings peace. Now look, this guy right here, not talking about y'all, talking about me, I have learned the hard way multiple times because I'm dumber than a lot of people that it's best for me to approach situations that have the possibility of making me angry like a paranoid cat. We got a cat a couple of years ago, Yoshi. He's my buddy. But Yoshi is paranoid. He is. He hears a noise like he is on guard. The eyes are wide. He's ready to run. He tiptoes. That I need to approach situations, the patterns, the things that make me angry like a paranoid cat. Cautiously, tiptoeing, eyes open. Assume that there is something happening behind the scenes that you don't realize and understand. You know what? (laughs) I'm going to leave you all with this, and then we're going to pray. You can always turn into a lion later if you need to. You can. You can always do that later. But if you go in hot, Roaring like a lion without all of the facts, you're probably going to end up looking really foolish. And you might even make the situation worse by creating anger and hurt in those around you. Anger has to be managed, has to be managed, it has to be governed, it has to be ruled. We have to bring power to bear, and not just our own, 
the power of the Spirit. We have to bring power to bear. And if, if it can be brought to bear and made to work for you instead of get against you, man, your life is going to be better. Your relationships are going to be better. It'll take some work. It'll take some consistency. It'll take recognition of your triggers and patterns, all that. But, y'all, it's worth it. Anger can actually bring you closer to God if you'll manage it. Let's pray. Jesus, I know, I know, we all know that we need to be quick to listen, quick to listen, and slow to speak, and slow to become angry. But sometimes, God, it just doesn't happen that way. And instead, we don't listen at all, and we speak way too quickly, and we get angry in ways that cause damage to ourselves, cause damage to others. Lord, anger does not have to be sinful. And that's where we really need your help, Jesus. When our security, when our connections, when our control are threatened, help us, prompt us, bring to our minds through your spirit that lives in us to just take a step back and consider what's really happening. Lord, and where our hopes and our dreams and our expectations are really founded in you. And somehow, God, use our anger to draw us closer to you in those moments. And give us a deeper understanding of you. Give us a deeper understanding of ourselves. And avoid sin in anger. God, I'll pray this. In those rare moments where righteous anger is needed, help us to speak and to act in ways that are honest and honoring to you and the other people involved. Help us to handle that appropriately. Jesus, help us to manage our anger and bring it to bear in ways that benefit us and don't harm us. In Jesus' name, amen. Anger management, Grace Church. We need it, and you can do it. God bless you this evening. Have a great night.